Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Colby Cast, your place for community and conversation about pop culture and storytelling. On this episode, Caleb, Luke, and I finally get to talk about a movie that we haven't gotten to talk properly about. We have some running jokes, right, on the Colby Cast we were just talking about here, and one of them is How I Met Your Mother references, another one is vengeance instead of saying the batman and another thing is talking about spider-man no way home but not actually talking about spider-man no way home so on this episode we're finally going to give all of you guys a proper conversation about spidey that was released gosh what is it seven or eight months ago now but we are going to talk about spider-man no way home so just an advanced warning, there's going to be spoilers, like right off the bat. So if you're like the guy in my history class last semester that somehow had not seen the movie in like May, go check out the movie and come back before listening to this episode. But without further ado, let's say hello. Hi, Caleb. Hello. Hi, Luke. Hi. Uh, so first and foremost, I'd, I'd love to hear what you guys have to say about Spider-Man as a character. This character has a rich comic history Saturday morning cartoons, animation, three different eras of Spider-Man movie storytelling, and you guys have consumed a lot of that. So I'd l- love to hear what you guys think about Spider-Man, just in general as a character. As a character, I love him. If I were to have him stacked up against any other characters, I don't think I could put him in a list. I think he would start his own list and he would be the only member of that list Mm. just because he's all sorts of different things to different people. But to me, he's just sort of like, he's sort of a generational thing. You touched on it already about different eras. We've had three Spider-Men just within the last 15 years, 20 years. And each one is loved by a certain generation. Tom Holland is definitely beloved by this current generation, still loved by... Uh, different generations, but differently. Other than um, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire's, those were probably for older generations and stuff. But the first thing I think of when I think of uh, of <clears throat> Spider-Man is how much he's loved by not only people, but corporations. Yeah. I think of the story about how Sony could have bought basically all of Marvel, but it said, no, those are worthless. We're just going to buy Spider-Man. And now that marvel is owned by the conglomerate of disney they're like okay we want him in all our movies and all the logistics that go into that but um it that's the first thing that i think of when i think of spider-man is how beloved he is across all avenues it's a good point because he's like a pop culture thing it's not even you don't have to even be an mcu fan or a comic book fan or even a superhero fan you everybody knows spider-man he is one of those characters that has reached like the zeitgeist level of of comic book heroes um that's definitely a very good point luke how about you you want to know how big spider-man is yeah did you know that michael jackson tried to buy the rights to spider-man so that he could play him in a movie i did not know that now you do and your life is better for it now (laughs) Spider-Man is one of the best characters of any superhero because of his relatability. It's very hard to relate to godlike figures like Thor or Superman. And most people who can relate to someone like Tony Stark or Batman probably aren't listening to this podcast. (laughs) Um, But everybody can relate to being, or at least feeling like, the smallest kid in the room to being not necessarily tasked with great responsibility, but being in a position where you don't know what to do and you don't know the right step to make because that's all Spider-Man does. He just fails and he fails and he loses and he loses, but he keeps on persevering. And when you have such an amazing character and you put that into a kid, that's amazing. Like the the amazing amazing Spider-Man, yeah. Um... I heard a story that Stanley told about why he chose to make Peter Parker the way he was. He said that at the time superheroes were sort of already getting big because he had had, he had success with a couple of characters already and he wanted to go with something sort of off the wall. 
and he saw a fly buzzing around in his room while he was trying to think of a name for a superhero. And he thought, what about Flyman? <laughs> because he thought insects were cool. And then he thought, no, that wouldn't be good, but what about Spider-Man? And he came up with this whole backstory that he had all the powers of a spider and everything, but it wasn't original enough. So he made Spider-Man into a teenager. And there were no superheroes like that. Batman was an adult. Superman was an adult. Every superhero you could think of was sort of someone you could look up to, not someone that you could relate to. And there still really aren't many that you can relate to, right? You would like to be able to relate to them, but you can't. And I think that's part of what makes him one of my favorite characters. I think it speaks to Spider-Man as a character when even in the MCU, Captain America, Steve Rogers, is a fan of Spider-Man. <laughs> so, Yeah, it's true. He is He's such a wonderful character. They really... Just iconic, and you know, I'm not going to be able to add much more to what you guys have already said. You guys hit all these wonderful points about it, his relatability, his effect on the pop culture at large, uh, on a large scale. Uh, I grew up watching. Again, I'll mention I'm not. I wasn't a big comic book reader, so my introduction to Spider-Man was Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends. And I don't know if it's out there to watch anywhere, if it's on a streaming service like the original one where he had I don't I can't even remember off the top of my head the the um, the characters that were in this show, but I remember there was some lady that would have flaming hair. There was another guy who looked like Silver Surfer, but he didn't. He wasn't Silver Surfer. He like surfed on ice, like the guy from The Incredibles. Uh, Spidey had little wings under his arms, uh, so and and I think that's where the the famous um, Spider-Man theme came from, which I will not sing. But anyway, everybody knows it, the Spider-Man theme, uh, and they've made some fun references to that through the films. But I always loved watching that cartoon growing up, and then when the movie came out with um, Tobey Maguire, you know that just set the world on fire. That. First of all, it came out at a at an important time for the country because it was, you know, it was a we, everybody was sort of recovering from nine eleven. It had happened the year before. They actually delayed the movie because there was a scene, uh, as far as I understand, there was a scene where Spider Man caught Green Goblin or caught a villain at the end by making a huge spider web between the twin towers. So they had to take that whole thing out because they really understood that's not something that's going to work now uh, because of that tragedy. So they redid that, and uh, d- just the tone of the movie with sort of this underdog kid coming out and, and being able to become a hero uh, was, a, it was a, a message of hope in that, even though Spidey is really a... He, like you mentioned, Luke, he does lose a lot. That's his whole M.O., is that he can't live both Peter Parker and Spider-Man at the same time. So he has to compromise somewhere. So um, I've always, I've, you know, I've just been a big fan since uh, since I was a kid. You know, the lean years, sort of, with the Andrew Garfield movies that came out that weren't well received. I thought were still fun in their in its own way. I just think it was a studio trying to do too much with a character they knew they had to do something with, or they were going to lose the rights to. But when they decided to share the character with Disney and bring in Tom Holland. Um, man, oh man, my love for the character just skyrocketed and was sort of like, it was like a rebirth because Tom Holland does such a wonderful job with the character and their, their story that they've told about him over the, however many films he's been in, in the MCU has just been wonderful. We're going to get to that though later on. I have a a topic I'd love to hear about from you guys, but that's my experience with the character. And and I agree with everything you guys have said. Uh, yeah, Caleb, you want to say something? I can tell you where to find Spider-Man uh, and his amazing friends on streaming services, but I wanted to hear you sing his theme song first. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> um, you can find it on Disney+. Plus. There oh, is a full uh, season of 24 episodes, and they're ready and waiting for you. I did not know that, so thank you for giving me that information and sharing that with everybody. Yep. Did you know that in the Amazing Spider-Man cartoon, Spider-Man only throws one punch in the entire TV show? I did not know that. It's because the studio, it was on TV and it was for kids, 
they or the network wouldn't allow for violence and it's a superhero and there's bad guys so you have to fight the bad guys so he would always beat his bad guys with trickery and throwing things at them and trapping them in webs and all that but he only threw one punch throughout the entire series that is a very interesting fun fact that i did not know so i wanted to know your guys opinion it's now seven months ish more than seven months after Spider-Man No Way Home came out in theaters. It came out before Christmas, made gobs and gobs and gobs of money. Obviously a very successful movie, but here we are seven months later, and why are we talking about this movie now? One of the reasons, and you brought it up a, a little while ago, Luke, before we started recording, is that we didn't have a podcast back then, or else we certainly would have been talking about Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, but now we do. So here we are talking about it. But I also think that this movie has legs. This movie has a longevity to it, at least in my mind, that you can go back and rewatch it and still enjoy it. Because there's some story aspects that I think that will always be important. There's, you know, money shots in the sh- in the in the show that makes it enjoyable and want to go back and see again. There's comedic moments. There's heart. There's so much to enjoy about this movie. That's why I think we could sit here seven months later and talk about it. What do you guys think? I think you unintentionally had the perfect pun of it having legs. It has eight legs. You know, <laughs> spider, spider pun. Just going to pat myself on the back for that. Um, it's a movie that you can, like, I, like we so, both said earlier, is for all generations. Like, if we put it on... For grandparents, they would be able to enjoy it because it's just something that's fun. You don't really have to understand everything. But it's also something that's going to be enjoyed by all ages, really. And I think it's good that we're following it up months and months after it's it's come out because of that. It's such a good movie. And it's not just a good superhero movie. It's just a good film overall. And it's just so fun and lighthearted. And there's such a beautiful story behind it all. And it's a kid making mistakes, but he's showing him growing up and just, we're going to get to it. But the scene with Aunt May, like, yeah, just moving. Yeah. Luke, what do you think? Why, why is it still justifiable to sit here and talk about this movie so long after it's come out? It's, it hits and checks every box. You have the nostalgia factor of the other Spider-Men. You have returning villains who were all loved, like the Green Goblin, Sandman. But you also have the new fresh blood of Tom Holland and Zendaya. And the story is great, but it's it's all about... It, it's the epitome of Spider-Man, right? Because it's the ultimate choice between Peter Parker mm-hmm. and Spider-Man. Sure. And it all ends up working out sort of in the end, but with a great sacrifice. And that's all it ever is. And I think Tom Holland's always been my favorite Spider-Man since Civil War. I just, I loved him immediately. And I just knew that they were going to do great things with him. It's probably because I'm really smart and I know everything. Um, (laughs) But anyways, this just solidified him as the best Spider-Man, in my opinion, because it sort of felt like they were passing off the torch to him, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire. He's now... He has more Spider-Man movies than the other two, if you can, if you take into account his appearances in other Marvel movies and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it's... It just pushes... It moves the needle so much. And... I love the fact that it's a reset for him as a character because now, who cares that you have a trilogy? You can tell way more stories now. You don't need to say, oh, we put a pretty little bow on it, now let's put the character on the shelf. There's still so many more stories you can tell with that character. I wanted to ask you guys one other thing before we get into the actual movie aspect of things, but were either one of you guys spoiled about the other two Spider-Men being in this movie I was not. I'll answer the question first. I know some people I've heard and read were saying that the spoilers were out there and that they were spoiled. And I and I feel 
very bad for the people because it was such a thrill for me to see it actually happened. I mean, maybe I just suspended enough disbelief going into it because there were signs right in front of us, um, like in trailers and whatnot. But when I saw Andrew Garfield in that scene, it really was a surprise for me. And then when they brought in Tobey Maguire in that same scene, it really was a surprise for me. And it was a wonderful surprise. So did you guys know this was coming beforehand because of um, social media or anything like that? Or were you genuinely surprised in the theater too? So I was similar to you where I was just reeling in my expectations. The super fans were saying, Marvel, give us what we want. We have these super high expectations. Do not let us down. I wasn't one of those people. I was just going to go into it and enjoy the movie yeah. just because of how great of a character he is and how great they've done since they brought him in uh, with the, the other Marvel films. Um, <clears throat> there were certain pictures that I saw on social media where people were speculating, like, oh, this is an official leak where they're all in this scene, but they really weren't or things along those lines. So I wouldn't say I was spoiled to it, but to put it into my excitement, I'm first happy that it's on streaming service so I can finally hear what Andrew Garfield says as he's on screen for the first time in this version of the MCU. (laughs) Because in the theater when we were there, people cheered for so long and so loud that you saw his mouth move, but you didn't hear any dialogue. And then same thing when Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man came on screen. It was just this absolute thrill to watch as in it was why i enjoy going to movie theaters don't get me wrong i don't want it to be like clapping on a plane where it's a little ridiculous and you're sitting there for five more minutes but it's just that thrill and that thing that you want to feel and enjoy when you have this love for for cinema or or just a movie or a character but no i wouldn't say i was spoiled but i was definitely spoiled when they did come out in the movie so I knew it was going to happen, not because I saw any spoilers or anything, but it just made too much sense. All the signs were pointing to it. Everyone was asking for it. The studio's not stupid. They're not going to... I mean, could you imagine how people would revolt? It could be the (laughs) best movie ever, but if it didn't have the other two Spider-Men, people would have hated it because their expectations were so high. And Disney's smart. They know their audience. They know what they want, mainly because they decide what we want. And I I knew that it was going to happen, but I was still, I loved the way they did it. And it didn't feel like I was just sitting around waiting for it to happen, you know? Yeah, uh, I I think you what you say makes total sense. And I, like I said, I did a lot of suspending of disbelief because I almost talked myself out of it in the months coming up to the movie. And I, I'll be honest, I was like Star Wars level excited about this movie. I, and I can't say that I've really had that kind of level. It's not to say anything bad about any other movies, but it's just how much I get excited about a Star Wars movie. But this was up there for me at that same level. Um, I can say Endgame, Infinity War are, are sort of up there at this at that same level for me as far as Marvel movies. So I actively talked myself out of it leading up to the movie, saying exactly what you what you just said, Luke, knowing that. It's they have to do this, but at the same time, in the same thought, saying, "Don't let yourself believe that because it would be just too complicated." There's no way that this is going to happen, and it actually makes me think of um, the Miles Morales film. And I would be remiss to talk about No Way Home without bringing up Into the Spider Verse because I really think that that movie is so brilliant, and it not only just existing on its own as a brilliant movie and a brilliant story and amazing animation and fantastic music and from top to bottom the whole movie is fantastic but i don't know that no way home would have worked as well as it did if we hadn't been as an audience introduced to the concept through spider-verse into the spider-verse and they did it so well multiple spider people and it really introduced on a very large level the idea of a Spider-Verse that when Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland were all star- sharing the screen, it really wasn't just a, a foreign idea. It wasn't I didn't have to get used to it whatsoever because I feel like Into the Spider-Verse set the table so beautifully. You said set the table and it, it's not intentional. But I was really hoping because of that, the Into the Spider-Verse and then the multiverse version of the Spider-Man in the MCU... It would bring in Spider Pig because that's where I didn't mean to set the table. But 
Um, I just thought it would have been so funny. There's the meme where the Spider-Men are all pointing at each other, and they had their own version of that in yep. the movie. And then I was hoping they'd have their own version of the Spider-Pig as well. There's something along those lines. It's Spider-Ham. Is it really? That's fantastic. <laughs> well, here we are 20 minutes in, and we haven't even started talking about the movie. So I guess we do like Spider-Man, don't we? Um, so let's get into some highlights. Let's talk about the villains first, actually, because really they they had their own movie. There are so many villains in this movie. And people, I remember people were upset at the fact going into Spider-Man 3 with Tobey Maguire that they were going to have Sandman and they were going to have Venom and they were going to have Hobgoblin, which is the Harry, Harry uh, Osborne version of Green Goblin, right? And everybody was saying, too many villains, too many villains. They're trying to do too much. And yeah, that movie did miss some, some, um, some moments and, and didn't deliver in a lot of people's eyes. I enjoyed it because I like a lot of things, uh, <laughs> as, as we've mentioned in the past. But uh, if we were to say that a Spider-Man movie was going to gross over a billion dollars and it was going to have three Spider-Men in it, and it was going to have five, six villains, if you count Venom in the post credit scene. All those critics from the previous Spider-Man films where they had, when they, where they had too many villains, they would have like turned over in their grave. They, it's, not, it's never going to work. It's never going to work. But boy, did it work. So uh, what were some of the highlights specifically about the villains for you guys, or maybe a, a favorite villain or one that stood out more uh, than others? Well... While No Way Home was great, it didn't have Tom Holland walking down the street dancing, <laughs> and that was a miss. Um, but, yes, yes, yes. I mean, just the performances from the characters were, or from the actors were amazing. And people have been raving about how well the Green Goblin did, and he did great. But I, my favorite villain there was Doc Ock. Mm-hmm. I... His redemption arc was great, and people don't really focus on that because of Spider-Man 2. And Spider-Man 2 is a great movie, but you don't really get to see much of the good side of him. And in the comics, that's a huge part of it because he's not just some evil monster. He's being controlled, and he was a great friend to Peter in the video game um, that came out exclusively on PlayStation. Um I played it when they remastered it, and it's such a great video game. But you really get to see the relationship that they have together. And oh, cool. it's he's like a mentor to him. Mm-hmm. And when he becomes Dr. Octopus, he it really hurts Peter. And I'm so glad that they showed that redemption with the, with the end with Tobey Maguire. Mm-hmm. How have you been? Yeah. I've been trying to be better. And that was, in order to have great villains, you also need to have great redemption. And whether it's in the villain or the protagonist, either way works, but we got both. I think Doc Ock was also my favorite villain because of that redemption story. And it was something that you said a couple weeks ago, not on the podcast, that I've been using a lot in my work, like in real life, that made me also think of Doc Ock where it's, Good people can do bad things, but just because they do bad things doesn't make them bad people, right? So he's doing these bad things because he's literally being corrupted by the chip he created, right? So when when Spider-Man basically has the the solution and fixes it, you see him fighting with every string of his being. And then all of of a sudden he's like, it's so quiet. All the the noises are gone. I just thought that was so fantastic. Um but same thing with with um, you said hob- hobgoblin, right? Yeah. Okay, I always call him Green Goblin. So I want well, to clarify. Well, it is Green Goblin in uh-huh. this movie. It's hobgoblin. It's hobgoblin in the Spider-Man Three. So the Green Goblin in in No Way Home. Okay, perfect. So Green Goblin, uh, Harry, just him as a as a as a character, I loved it. Norman. Also. Norman. Norman. Yes, not Harry. Um, Norman was just such a good character because you can see that he also is having this internal conflict. He has this bad, bad, bad side of him, but you also see that there's the good trying to fight its way out, but it's definitely fighting a losing battle. It's this flame in this world of darkness in his mind. And you see it when the, the, the Peter tingle starts to go off in the apartment scene. Um, 
but you sort of just see the 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 flip, the switch flip. Yeah. You see the bad version of Norman come out, and then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. But when you see that from him, it's because of the other guy that's in his mind, right? Yep. It's not because he's willing and wanting to harm anybody. Mm-hmm. And that's where Aunt May comes in. Mm-hmm. He said, you need to help him because he, he's not trying to be bad. He's actually trying to be good. It's just not very easy, right? So similar can be said for all of the characters. I really liked what they did with his name's Electro, right? Electro. Yeah. I like that they changed him a lot just because they made it their own, right? Yeah. Um, but um, I think Doc Ock, for all the reasons Luke already mentioned, was my favorite with absolute honorary mention to to Norman. I was gonna I was gonna talk about Green Goblin, so I'm glad you said what you said because it gives me a second actually to talk about Jamie Foxx. Uh, but re- really, the main reason I wanted to talk about Green Goblin was just to talk about Willem Dafoe. And the reason I want to talk about Willem Dafoe is to make our How I Met Your Mother joke, which is Willem Dafoe! Willem Dafoe! So if you haven't seen How I Met Your Mother, go check that out or Google it because How I Met Your Mother is hilarious. Halibut. What is that? Salmon. <laughs> Get a load of that guy. Trout. <laughs> See, no, 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 you don't get it. I don't. It's, it's another one of Marshall's jokes in How I Met Your Mother. Okay. So you're making the Willem Dafoe ribbit sort yeah. of joke. He's I'm... making the oh. fish, fish joke. It's in a scene where he's doing stand-up comedy. Oh. <laughs> and he just starts naming off fish, and he thinks it's hilarious. Marshall Erickson is honestly one of my top ten favorite fictional characters of all time. I love Marshall Erickson, and we could probably... Uh, just make uh, Marshall jokes. How I Met Your Mother. So I don't know if anybody, if, if anyone about out there has has watched it. We have. It's very enjoyable, and the ending is very polarizing, but <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Uh, but there you go. There's your obligatory How I Met Your Mother conversation that <laughs> sneaks its way into all of our talks. Um, but yeah, so Willem Dafoe. Uh, but he was brilliant, and he was so scary. And honestly, I got creeped out like when I watched. Heath Ledger's Joker, that level of creeped out. And Thanos, for me, elicits anger just because of his full disregard for life. Uh, the Joker in The Dark Knight elicits fear because you just don't know what he's going to do next. After the disappearing pencil trick, <laughs> I didn't need anything else, right? <laughs> Every time the man was on the screen, I was tense. And I felt the same way with Norman Osborn slash Green Goblin because Willem Dafoe did such a brilliant job of selling when he was Norman Osborn, right? You felt bad for the man when he was sitting in the kitchen of Aunt May's job and he was fully Norman Osborn. You felt so bad for him. And then when he switched over to Green Goblin, it just chills, right? Just you felt that fear like, oh, no, what is going to happen and to know what we knew from him in Spider-Man 1, the very first one with Tobey Maguire, and knowing that Tom Holland, Spider-Man, dis- didn't know anything from that, he didn't know what we knew about that villain, was so scary to me and such a wonderful portrayal. But Jamie Foxx, I thought, was hilarious and also chilling in a way, too, because when he needed to be serious and villainy, he was villainy, right? He... He really loved this power, this uh, this power that he had in this universe that he had never felt or experienced before. And that was a really interesting aspect to that character. And Jamie Foxx's um, portrayal or his his performance, uh, it was just it was, it was just brilliant. I, I don't know what else to say. It was just perfect. He was funny when he needed to be, scary when he needed to be. And he was also a good foil for other villains because I remember him having his conversation with Sandman. And then the reptile, he was just sort of stuck in the truck, but you know, or stuck in a in a in the in the cell. Doctor Strange. I find out his name is Lizard, not Reptile. Yes, Lizard. Yeah, thank you both because you told me that too, and I still called him Reptile. <laughs> um, but the villains, yes, thank you. That's true. The villains sort of lead me into my major highlight for this movie, and I and I'd love to hear what you guys have to say about yours. I'll kick it off though with the whole arc of Aunt May and Redemption. You brought it up. 
But the fact that they that they made it a central theme, a central plot point for this massive gargantuan of a movie, this spectacle, this epic, where you've got all these characters running around, not to mention everything else that happened in the previous Spider-Man movie. <laughs> They're dropping Matt Murdock in a cameo scene, which I loved. Another scene where we had to watch it on on digital so that we could actually hear what he had to say because the crowd was erupting, which I was all for. I mean, I was one of the ones clapping and hooping and hollering. But the fact that they made Redemption and May, Aunt May, the the face of that, I just think is so powerful. Because in life, and I think it's such a wonderful message right now, um, even with all of our disagreements, even with all of whatever might be causing issues between people life itself and people and in itself we deserve to be given a chance to be redeemed people make mistakes people go down the wrong path people do bad things now talk to me about this in thanos i don't know i might have i don't know that's a tough pill to, to swallow but the fact that they wanted to redeem these villains and not just kill them which is the easy way out for so many superhero movies now you just kill the villain you have to have a big fight at the end and you kill the villain. That's, that's uh, what does Deadpool say? Um, that's lazy writing, right? <laughs> this, this was not. This was a very important theme to put out there. And here is our hero trying to run around and redeem these villains. Not only that, though, but it caused him probably some of the greatest pain that he has suffered as a character at the end, not the end, at, at the end of May's life. May still held true to her values, and I think that it was just a, uh, an incredible, moving and touching way to bring this whole theme to a head, which was with some of her last breaths, she's still trying to tell Peter that wonderful line that Peter gets in all of his iterations that has become cliche, almost a joke, in some circles, but the way they delivered it with the great power must come great responsibility. She killed it. Aunt May just absolutely sold that scene in the and that's in that part. So moving and so beautiful, but so tragic. And I just love that that is a part of a movie that we all enjoyed. Something that that made us laugh. Something that made us hoop and holler and clap and had cool action scenes, but all of it revolved around the fact that he went and, and wanted to redeem these villains. Even after May lost her life, he still honored her legacy to go and try to redeem these villains, and he did. And I just think that that was a really powerful s- story to tell and very important, very important. So there's, there's my major highlight. Uh, what do you guys got? That scene with Aunt May, I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but I'm very critical of on-screen deaths. I just think they're very overdone. That always happens, blah, blah, blah. But it's so moving that I can't just be like, oh, yeah, there's been a million other deaths on screen like that. She's literally fighting with all of her strength to say, no, 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 I'm good. I just need to lie down for a second. I just need to catch my breath is what she says, right? And she's still trying to make sure that her basically son is going to be better off when she's gone and she does that pretty much throughout all of her on-screen off-screen stuff and she'll he'll still have happy but it's not really happy anymore because he doesn't recognize peter anymore right right so that's that cliche but not even cliche because of how powerful it was moved me that much more and you got to see how peter reacts because at that point he's like i don't care if i'm spider-man i don't care if i'm peter you killed my like most cherished person in my yeah. life. Oh. I'm going to get you back for it. And then oh. you see Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man, save him at the end, say yeah. it's not worth it. And he just sort of breaks down. And like it was just so moving. And this, this poetic thing, poetic theme especially throughout it all. You want to know how good this movie is? Yeah. We didn't even mention Doctor Strange this whole time. <laughs> it's true. And I'm not going <laughs> to. Um, I think my favorite part of the whole movie is where he comes to terms with the fact that everyone's going to forget Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. And that 
little end montage of him with his new suit, zipping around the city, in his tiny little apartment. I just loved it because as much as I've enjoyed these past three movies, I've sort of missed the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Yeah. We got to see him in a basically an Iron Man suit. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw him fighting Thanos with the Avengers, and being Tony Stark's son, pretty much. And he was saving the world, not just his neighborhood. Yeah. And it was it was good. But I like that this is going back to its roots. And it takes a lot for me to really, really enjoy a movie. And that little, that montage of him swinging around the city after everyone's already forgotten him, up to him going to talk to MJ. Yeah. That was... I don't know if I've enjoyed a scene in a movie more. I just... I loved it. It was... I I was so overwhelmed with emotions because I was... On one hand, I was sad because he lost everything that he's ever known. And everyone's forgotten him and he's starting all over. But I was also so happy for him because... He had a fresh start, he had a new opportunity, and he could do everything right. And I was also still super curious because, you know, where do you go from here? And I think that was my favorite part of the entire movie. Not only can he do anything right now, but he can do anything wrong. He doesn't have the weight of the world literally on his shoulders. People were saying, oh, he's the next Iron Man. He literally just graduated high school. You can't (laughs) expect him to be Iron Man, right? So now that he's going to be the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, he can work on that redemption. I'm not going to go into my whole New York has too many super superheroes <laughs> argument, but I saw an interesting fan theory, and I don't want to bring up fan theories because they're always like wet and wild, right? But the one that I saw was like the spell Doctor Strange does to make sure everybody forgets who Peter Parker is. Mm-hmm. It goes to everybody, right? Yeah. But... Wanda, at the same time, has the Darkhold and is setting her own spells, right? But no spell can counteract that. So maybe she still remembers who Peter Parker is. I thought that was interesting. Don't think it's going to be a reality. I just thought it was a a fun little loophole someone found. Um, But I like that they showed the little montage that we keep referencing um, with him going into his new apartment. They're like, okay, rent's due. And he probably has to figure out, how am I going to pay rent? Mm -hmm. Right. So this brings in the whole... Is he going to become a photographer again? I think that's super cool. Um, you see um, Lego Emperor Palpatine on his yep. desk. Yep. And then on his desk, you see basically remedial college classes. <laughs> that's like Luke and I taking Spanish classes in high school. You just want the easy A. You just want to get it done. But I think the movie was just the perfect amount of silly. And I don't want to ruffle any feathers, especially in this room that we're in now, and mention the Thor movie. But I thought this was the perfect amount of silly to the converse fighting anger villainy in all of it and i just thought it was a so well balanced movie and my favorite scene because we've mentioned our favorite scenes was when andrew garfield's spider-man is like yeah my back's kind of tight so they go and they help him stretch out and he goes and just having this banter conversation McGuire said that. yes toby mcguire uh sorry uh and he goes and they're just having this banter and he's like I love you guys. And this is sort of this awkward whatever. And they're calling each other like Spidey 1, Spidey 2. That was my, my favorite scene outside of the fighting just because it was, it was so good. I'll drop a weight on your foot. You bring up Thor Love and Thunder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you can listen to our thoughts on Thor Love and Thunder on episode, uh, what was that, 38, I think. Um, yeah, that's the, uh, don't get me started. Uh, I enjoyed the movie. It was fun. Um, one of the things that I, I agree with you on that, Caleb, you, I'm glad you brought up the meta aspect of the movie because there were so many meta moments and that part about Tobey Maguire's back because he was famously injured filming another movie and he had to be, delay, you know, filming of another Spider-Man movie was delayed or complicated things because of his back injury. And then the other part when Tobey Maguire, or I guess they call him Peter 2, right, is telling Peter 3 He's encouraging him, right, and telling him, no, you're amazing. You're amazing. <laughs> and the fact that they named Andrew Garfield's Peter, Peter 3, is meta in itself because, like, everybody's like, oh, no, Tom Holland's the best. No, Tobey Maguire is the best. And everybody's just like, yeah, but Andrew Garfield isn't the best, except for the hardcore Andrew Garfield fans, which I love that he has them out there. And if you want to be a, a bigger fan of Andrew Garfield, go watch Tick, Tick, Boom. Yep. 
uh, just a magnificent film. Uh, but I love that, that kind of a thing where he's saying, no, man, you're amazing. I love you. Uh, you're, you're amazing. The fact that he just kept on telling him he's amazing because his movies were The Amazing Spider-Man is great. Um, very, those fun moments are definitely a highlight of, of all the, the Peter interactions. I didn't know that Andrew Garfield was British. <laughs> Until when? Like recently. <laughs> Did you see him do an interview or something? No, I saw a video of him and Christian Bale talking, and I also didn't know that Christian Bale was British. <laughs> Until recently? Until I saw that video with the two of them. <laughs> that just goes to show you how brilliant of an actor those guys are because they do American accents very, very well. To shift gears back into the movie, I really love Ned as a character. Mm. He's always like, yeah, I'm the man in the chair. Mm. I'm the man in the chair. He takes pride in it. He takes pride in being Tom Holland, Peter Parker, best friend. Yeah. But he's also taking pride in being able to help him in the ways he can. I thought um, any scene he was in just made me smile because yeah. his, was it his grandmother? Yeah. So his grandmother's it's like, cool. oh, oh, you're, you're magic. And all of a sudden now he's using the, the sling ring. Yeah. And then they're a huge part of keeping the, the box, I don't forget what it's called, that Doctor Strange comes up with. They're keeping it away from all the villains. And then all of a sudden Lizard is coming in and they've got to escape and stuff. But um, just seeing, I think it broke me more knowing that Peter Parker wouldn't have Ned mm. than it did not having his love interest in Zendaya. Mm. Because Ned and Peter have been through everything together. Sure. Zendaya, it's a different dynamic. But as much as I'm curious to see Zendaya and uh, Peter Parker get back together, I want to see how they get their best friend ship <laughs> back yeah and that's um one of the saddest parts of the movie right is all the loss because it's not just about him losing aunt may but now he's losing all these people that love him and that he loves uh but it does put him in a position where you really don't know what's where he can go from here he is going to become that that um friendly neighborhood spider-man or at least he could spend time doing that before i get to that finishing that thought though i i, I can't go on without mentioning one of my personal favorite parts was when peter three andrew garfield saved mj when she was falling because it just goes to show how much the writers knew and how much they've loved the movie history of these characters because they knew that that would be important to that specific Peter Parker. And the fact that he swooped down, was able to, you know, they do the whole bait and switch, right, where Peter One is falling, you know, jumping towards a falling MJ and then gets taken out by Goblin's glider. And now MJ is in peril, right, falling off of the Statue of Liberty. I never thought for one second they were going to kill her, but I was hoping that we were going to see the payoff of that situation with Peter Three jumping in, swinging in, I should say, and grabbing her and being able to feel that personal moment of being able to save someone in almost an exact situation where he lost his MJ, Gwen Stacy. And I just thought it was a really touching moment of the film. And then again, with the silliness, MJ comes in and says, you okay, buddy? Like, like what? You saved me. Why are you crying? Right. And I just, that's, Speak so much the whole movie. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it was it was a it was a good, funny, light moment, but it meant a lot, right? And there was a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, but I mentioned where Peter Parker is now, and as much as I I I love seeing Peter Parker and MJ together, especially these two, they're such good iterations of the characters. Um, I'm hopeful that because it, I I do believe we're gonna get more. Spider-Man stories of this Spider-Man. I am hopeful. I haven't announced anything um, like formally or officially, but I, I do, you know, reading interviews of Kevin Feige and the head of Sony, they're being very upfront with, yeah, they have a good working relationship. They're going to continue to work and, and keep going with this character. So I'm hoping we're going to be able to see that. So in my mind, the story is not over. I'm really interested to see how that works out. I, I know you mentioned the theory with Wanda, 
you know, don't get me started on Doctor Strange because now she's buried under a mountain apparently. But whatever, that's a whole other, a whole other uh, hot topic. Um, but how they're going to go forward with with he promised, he promised them that he's going to go and find them and make them remember. And I believe him because he promised them. I understand why he wants to protect them, especially MJ. You know that part in the donut shop where she brushes her hair back and he sees the band aid still on her forehead uh, was a beautiful way to illustrate why. What's the best way of him protecting her because he loves her? The best way is to make sure that she's never in peril because the people in Peter Parker's life will always be in peril because of the people that Peter Parker is trying to fight against, the bad guys. So it's poetic. It's beautiful. I really hope someday we get to see them reunited uh, with their memories intact and understanding because this specific version of these two characters, to me, are just remarkable and wonderful. So... I have loved their usage of this character ever since Civil War. And you guys mentioned it, but, you know, with Tobey Maguire, in the first 20 minutes of the movie, he's a nerd in high school, gets bit by the spider, he's chasing after bad guys, and he graduates from high school, and boom, they're moving off to New York. You know, the first 30 minutes of the movie. Uh, Andrew Garfield, I apologize, but I don't even remember how long his origin story is, but it couldn't have been very long because... They basically did a similar thing, but I feel like with Tom Holland's Spider-Man, we've gotten an origin story that has crossed over six movies, right? His own trilogy and uh, Civil War, Infinity War, and Endgame. So much has happened with this character, and where they left him at the end of this movie is almost like they've left him at the beginning of the story of this character, and... I just think it's so brilliant. Uh, what do you guys think about their usage of of Spidey so far in the MCU? To put it in like real world terms, amazing asset management because you've made the masses overly happy over six different movies, being a huge part, being a small part in any of and all of those movies, and now you're going to get so much more of him because there's so much unknown even though we have all of this rich backstory and even richer because they brought in the other two Spider-Men in the MCU. Um, I'm excited. I was hoping he'd move to Boston, <laughs> but he's a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man in New York. So they're probably trying to keep it as authentic as, as they can keep it. So, well, I mean, they traveled Europe, so you never know. Boston's just up the, the quick train ride up the, <clears throat> up the uh, Northeastern seaboard. Luke, final thoughts. They have crime in Boston, right? <laughs> I've heard that they do, but I'm not sure if they have superheroes in Boston. That's that was the, what Peter told Ned when they're oh, talking. I... <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think a big part of it was Peter's no longer a kid anymore. He's on his own, and he, in the comics, obviously. He starts out as a kid in most comics, but a big thing is he becomes a leader in the Avengers, and people look to him. You know, he mentors Miles Morales, and he has a whole Spidey family, but he's the head of that family. And in order to become a leader, you have to make mistakes and learn from them. And I feel like this is going... The Peter that we're going to see, even though he'll still be lighthearted and fun, will be a lot more mature. And he's not going to take as many risks as he did before. Good point. And especially with the direction of where the MCU is going, they've already lost Iron Man. They've already lost Captain America. There is a vacuum to be filled. And I think that we'll see him in more of a leader-type role, especially with Secret Wars coming up and Kang Dynasty. I really think that they... They pressed the restart button on them, but they still moved the needle forward a lot. Yeah, that's well said and and so difficult to do. Um, yeah, it was great. Well, you know, we we just, I, I can't say it enough. I, I love this movie and I, I love the fact that you guys love it as much as you do too and, and have as many interesting things to say about it because it is, it's, it's nuanced, even though it was a big uh, spectacle type of a film and a, Summer blockbuster released in December. Um, there's there's really great things to say about it. So 
I always enjoy sitting down talking to you guys about all these things, especially this conversation. Um, and, you know, that's going to do it for this episode. So uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, it's, it's definitely a, move for the age, uh, a movie for the ages. And it, in my opinion, something that we can continue to keep talking about years, years to come. Uh, yes, Caleb. And even though there's no Spider-Man movies coming out, there's an the animated series coming out, which I'm super stoked for. And even though there's not much more Spider-Man coming up, you should still give the movie a watch because he will be swinging by soon. But um, ah, punny. Love the puns. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the animated show because I just saw today. I believe it was announced that well, at Comic Con they announced that Charlie Cox is going to be voicing Daredevil in that, and one of the producers. And I'm sorry, I don't have your have his name at at my fingertips, but he confirmed apparently in an interview that that animated show is going to be MCU adjacent. It's going to be a multiverse story. So it's not, uh, I thought, and I believe I had said this on a previous episode, I thought it was going to be the origin story of the MCU's Spider-Man in the freshman year of high school. Apparently it's going to be a multiverse story that it sounds like it's going to exist in the MCU, but in the multiverse uh, version of the MCU. So thank you for bringing that up. And um, thank you guys also for joining me and talking about this great movie. And lastly, thank you all for listening and for your continued support. Take care. Bye. You can find The Colby Cast on Twitter and Instagram at The Colby Cast. If you're wordy, like me, you can send an email to thecolbycast at gmail.com. Please subscribe to the show and leave a review on your favorite podcast app or wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is not endorsed by anyone or anything for that matter. It is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the Colby cast, unless otherwise indicated. That'll do, Donkey. That'll do.